Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, I'm Steph and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. I am in the warehouse in Stroud. Um, We've just put our Father's Day gift guide live, so come to don'tbuyherflowers.com if you're looking for something for dad or grandpa or father-in-law, any father figure, um, and you're looking for something that's really good that he's going to love and it's not naff. A lot of gifts for men seem to be really naff, so we're trying to do it differently here. Um, Before I introduce today's guest, I just wanted to mention Deborah James, also known as Bow Babe. Deb is a friend and it's been incredible to watch her raise over £6 million in a week shortly after announcing that she was stopping treatment for bowel cancer, which she was diagnosed with more than five years ago. And the money she's raising is all going towards research. Um, so it's going to benefit that, that kind of money, the actual amount is going to benefit people properly. Like, it's just amazing. Um, and I should actually say she's Dame Deborah James as she was made a dame last week front page of multiple national newspapers had a visit from prince william uh oh and her second book is out in august which she's managed to rush through a clothing line that's raising a load of money like deb is remarkable it's been amazing to watch more and more people realize how amazing she is um but something that's staying with me is an interview she did with the bbc where she said i feel utterly loved and she's getting to see this rush of people kind of supporting her and trying to lift her up. And I suppose it's making me think about how sometimes we save that for after someone's died and we really shouldn't. Uh, and cancer affects, well, one in two of us um, will be diagnosed at some point in our lives. So it affects all of us. And I'm sure it's made a lot of people think about their own loved ones and experiences. And I just wanted to share that and send lots of love to to everyone who's kind of been really feeling that. Um, Okay, so on to today's guest. Uh, Matthew Frey is a relationship coach and author who has a new book called This Is How Your Marriage Ends, A Hopeful Approach to Saving Relationships. After his own experience of divorce and some soul searching, uh, Matt had a kind of reckoning where he realised that how he had behaved in the marriage and that all the everyday little things had over time eroded trust, which led his wife to leave. And Matt's used this to look at how men behave in relationships, primarily in romantic relationships with women. What we're really talking about is relationships between good people who love each other but can't get on and have the same route repeatedly and the relationship is struggling. And I know from the interaction with things I've written in the past on relationships that this is so many of us who are in this rush hour trying to juggle kids and marriage and work and we're having the same rows over and over again with our partner because we don't know how to do it (laughs) differently. Um, last week I spoke with Dr Karen Gurney about sex in long-term relationships and we've been inundated with messages, a lot really emotional actually, um, people crying as they're listening and just feeling less isolated by hearing people talk about it. I feel like these things are a huge topic um, and they don't really get enough airtime which just leaves us all feeling a bit lonely. 
Let me know what you think by rating and reviewing the podcast or email me podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com. Message me on Instagram. And um, I really hope you enjoy this episode. I have been getting a lot from the book, as has Doug. So it'll be really interesting to see what other people um, think of it. Okay, let's go. first time I came across you was in 2016 and I only made the connection when I was reading your book that I'd read this blog post which was she divorced me when I left dishes or because I left dishes by the sink so can we start with that because it really sets the scene I think that's awesome that you saw it it's the only like really popular thing that I've ever written Um, (laughs) and it was really shocking to me because I'd been blogging since 2013 like right, Right. right as my divorce was happening is when that started And it was nearly three full years later when I wrote, she divorced me because I left dishes by this thing, which about three or four days after I published it, just got really ridiculously viral and popular. And Mm -hmm. it came out of nowhere. And so I assume you want to talk about conceptually the notion of like the dish by the sink. Yeah, I had small kids and was reading it. And I remember, and the reason exactly went viral, I would have sent it to 20 of my mates who would have sent it to 20 of their mates because we were going, this is it. He's explaining it. I appreciate that, but there's still so many people. And I think it's really indicative of the blind spots in our relationships. There are so many people who read that and they get ultra focused on exactly the problem, like within my relationship was Mm -hmm. they think about whether it's okay or not for somebody to get divorced because of something as seemingly petty or small or benign as dishes by the sink. Mm -hmm. Failing to miss, I think they probably skim a lot because I'm not that great of a writer and I don't (laughs) blame them because it's a kind of a long article, but I I think they miss the nuance and the the substance, frankly, which is so scary, right? In our relationships, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to know. And I was the problem, just like, I don't want to call these readers the problem, think and feel whatever they want. Yeah, But to miss the point that it has absolutely nothing to do with, with whether it's dishes or laundry or the amount of childcare we're doing or any number of things that might hurt or upset or register some sort of like complaint or grievance with our relationship partner. When we don't allow like the things that matter to somebody else to matter, when we communicate that we don't think they're important, whether we're literally saying that or whether we're behaving in a manner that reflects how little we respect and honor the things that matter to somebody else. I just believe very strongly that we erode trust with them over Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And that gone unchecked after 10, 15, 20 years together, it can represent the thing that erodes trust to the point where you don't get to have a relationship anymore. And Mm -hmm. not because anybody's awful. That's the, to me, the, the really critical idea, not because anybody's awful, just because we didn't think the dish by the sink mattered. Yeah. But it did. It did matter. Yeah. Yeah. I think the point was that your wife was repeatedly mentioning this thing and you were like, I, I don't see the problem with it. And yeah. what's really interesting in the, in when once you've read your book is that, of course, it's not a big deal, but of course, it wouldn't have either been a big deal to just put your glass in the dishwasher. And the overriding bit that comes out again is like, why would you not want to do something that's going to stop making that person that you love unhappy? Yeah. And we lose that when we just keep having these same clashes over and over again. Oh, I think about it all the time. Why could I have not done that? But it's the logical versus what's going on in her head, right? And this was the, this is the the bit that, that Doug and I, so I got permission from my husband last night. We went through a few scenarios and I was like, I didn't want to say a load of stuff about us and then him be mortified by afterwards. But I'll give you a scenario. So we were going on holiday. And I was feeling really, really anxious because I'd been like most women. And again, I know in your book, there's lots of generalizations and you kind of have to do that to have these conversations. And and you're not saying everyone is exactly the same, but there are a load of people who are. And like most women, I had done all the shopping and the packing and the planning and the thinking about it. And also I was considering everything about the kids and whether they might need snacks and entertaining and all that for the journey. And We'd had this conversation. We were going to go. It's going to be really tight for picking up the kids from school and leaving. And we went to go. And Doug was like, I'm just going to go and put my out of office on, on my computer. And he went back to his computer, which he was meant to have left. And I was fuming. Like I was flipping out and I was like, we really need to leave. We really need to leave. I'm probably being a bit irrational, but I had already made it really clear that I was anxious. And he, it took him about 10 minutes because he was talking about on his computer. We ended up having this huge row. 
the journey there, we got stuck in traffic. So I was feeling validated that I was like, this is why I wanted to leave. And we're going back and forth. And I stayed angry for quite a long time. And he kept saying, I knew we had loads of time. I wasn't worried. I knew we'd make the plane. We didn't need to worry. But he read your book and was like, I get that you were really anxious and you just needed me to hear that. And I could have done my out of office from my phone, you know, when we were there, you just wanted to leave. And that was the plan. And I was just not hearing you at all. And I was all like fighting against it because to him it was really logical, but it didn't matter that it was logical. And that feels like a familiar row that so many people, it doesn't have to be those scenarios, but just the same rows that couples are having. That's right. I like to say that the details change from individual to individual or couple to couple, but the yeah. themes are always the same. Yeah. Yeah. So my dish by the sink, which is largely metaphorical. I mean, it's a true story, but I promise it wasn't a significant source of conflict in our relationship. It was no. just such a, it's so representative of, of lots of little, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. when I hear that, I mean, I get it. I get why he says, I want to set my out of office. And, and if he truly disagrees with you on like the math of the time, why he doesn't want to like submit, why he's like, this is not important. I'm just going to go do it. I'm not saying I get it today. I'm saying yeah, yeah. I conceptually understand. I would have made yeah. the same case, I think. But I like that he, through reflection, thinks about how to show up for you and still accomplish the thing that he wants to accomplish. Like everybody gets the win. Nobody's asking someone to compromise their personal values in order to validate and consider their romantic partner. That's not what this is. Can you talk through the invalidation triple threat? Because I think yeah. it's helped both of us. It's helped me to understand better what's going on in my head because I didn't really know necessarily why I'd get so worked up about something. But also it's definitely helped Doug to see it as well. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, I'm really glad because I, I, I almost think it's the most important low-hanging fruit takeaway mm-hmm. that somebody can apply immediately to their relationship and benefit their relationship with with honestly anybody. But I just think it's most critical with our romantic partner, particularly if we share space with them, like a home and lives and children and money and beds and things like that. Mm. Um, The invalidation triple threat are the three distinct ways I believe people inadvertently, I do mean that I don't think their intention is invalidation. I believe it's the math result of the conversation. Mm. And invalidation to me erodes trust and trust is the highest value I believe correlates with relationship health. I just think trust is so critical. And I think a lot of people are like, I don't cheat. I don't lie. I can be trusted. Well, you talk about the the men that you're talking about in your book are decent men. And that's probably really important to see. You're not talking about massive cheats and addicts and like really big problems that we assume to link with divorce. You're talking about decent men, but who are unable to communicate or empathize really right there's no mystery why the obvious stuff breaks relationships and roads trust i think the mystery is how the little things we're not paying attention to and i believe this invalidation triple threat response pattern this conversation lives squarely in like the invisible places that we don't calculate to be harmful that we don't calculate to be like a trust eroding thing and so the three distinct ways and i like to talk about it through like my own personal experience my wife would come to me to report that something was wrong And she'd say, hey, Matt, this thing happened. I feel bad about it. This is me sharing it with you now. And if I disagreed, I think it's so critical to remember, we often agree with our relationship partners. Mm -hmm. And then I think we respond in healthy ways when we agree. The scariness is when we disagree with them, when they say something that doesn't quite align with the way we think and feel. And so she'd Mm -hmm. say, Matt, something's wrong. I feel bad about it. And, And I would disagree with what she believed, what she thought happened. She'd tell a story said it resulted in her feeling bad. And I would disagree that the event happened as she said it did. And I would try to reframe it. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not even what happened. What happened is this. And it was like, right, my interpretation of it. So therefore, your feelings are invalid because they're based on a faulty premise to begin with. That's the math result of that conversation, even if it's an honest disagreement about what had occurred, not some attempt to be gross and manipulative with your spouse, because that's not what's happening here. These are accidental wounds. Version two, my wife comes in the room and she says, hey, Matt, a bad thing happened. I feel bad about it. And this time I'm in complete agreement that the event happened as it did. But this time I disagree that she should feel the way that she does. I I want her to correct her emotional calibration because it's wrong. Clearly she's overreacting to something that doesn't matter very much. And so version one, your brain's wrong. Version two, your feelings are wrong. 
-hmm. Version three, she'd say, hey, Matt, you know, you did this thing and it hurts me. And I would immediately resort to defending myself, explaining why I did it, justifying my actions on the merits that it was the right thing to do. And, you know, we have that conversation. And I think that's really common. And I, and I believe it's the most harmful. I believe it erodes the most amount of trust. When somebody says, I hurt, and we defend ourselves instead of validating the emotional experience they have, mm -hmm. one, we don't show up as somebody who validates hurtful things that happen to the people we care about. But number two, when we defend ourselves, I think we imply we'll do the hurtful thing again. I think it indicates something bad, even though, again, all of the people with the serial invalidation problem that I had will be like, give me a break. It's no big deal. And I understand. I'm not somebody who says everybody has to do this. I'm not trying to like get up on my moral high horse and, and suggest everybody must do this. Mm -hmm. I am suggesting that when we don't validate the people that we claim to love, that we say I love you to, that trust will erode accidentally, whether we think they should feel that way or not. Yeah. And I want people to consider what that does to relationship health if they value marriage, if they value togetherness with whoever they want to be with. Here's the math result of the invalidation triple threat in my estimation. If I don't agree with my wife who's hurt right now because of something, it never, ever gets repaired. Every time we have the conversation, whether it's dozens, hundreds, or thousands of times, and it's often thousands of times, we have these little conversations <laughs> over the course of like a long relationship. Yeah. I mean. The math result is if Matt doesn't approve of what I think, or if Matt doesn't approve of what I feel, he will always choose what he thinks and what he feels over me, always and forever. And that's what I've dealt with up till now. That's what I'm dealing with today. And it's what I'll deal with tomorrow. And we give no evidence that anything will ever change. And that's why I believe at like the heart of inadvertent trust erosion in relationships, like this conversation pattern is so terrifyingly dangerous. If one of your highest values is I want my marriage and my family to remain healthy and intact, because mm -hmm. I think the vast majority of people who get married do. You talk in the book about how a lot of what we have learned has been from our role models or from our parents and probably there were much more traditional roles that we slip into when doug and i first got together i used to make him sandwiches for work out of love he didn't ask me to he'd get a different condiment in there different meat i'd buy a fancy bread like i was doing this all the time so i was slipping into that like i'm your wife who will care for you role and then kids came along and i was like fuck that shit. I haven't got time for that. <laughs> and you've described it really well. I think it might have been on the podcast with Mark Groves. You kind of talk about how it's in part women are at that point, like, well, I need to get married and have children. And it, it's such a focus for us that we might behave in a certain way that over time, we then don't want to behave like that. And I know you don't pin it all on men because that doesn't work either. It's kind of, we've all got to look at it together. But it's just interesting that the same for men, they slip into a certain role. And then over time, it doesn't work to sustain an equal and loving relationship. No, and then we just don't, I, you know, I was asked last night in an interview when I got married, we got engaged when we were 24 years old, we were babies. Mm -hmm. And then we got married the next year at 25. And, and that might be really insulting to people who are 25. I don't mean to suggest that you're too young and immature to be a better human than I was. But in the context of me now, it's nearly 20 years later, I'm 43 years old right now. And still grossly immature, but I have 18 years of, of life experience and wisdom piled on top of being 25. And it, it does provide a valuable sort of like wisdom advantage that I think you roll your eyes at when you're 25. I thought I knew everything. You know, I, it's annoying that uh, you don't know what you don't know phrase because it's such a, a nerdy yeah. cliche. But yeah. to me, it's, it's so apt for this conversation. When you're 25, you literally have no way of gauging what life's going to feel like at 38 with three kids. You can't calculate for that. And mm. 38 with three kids can be really hard and hurtful <laughs> when you feel like abandoned and neglected within your relationship, particularly by somebody that is like, I love you and is confused and, yeah. and, and has the best of intentions. Like, right? If you're used to somebody mistreating you, it's like, well, I'm not shocked by this. But when that, it's like, this person loves me. It's that feeling like you're on your own, trying to manage the house and your work and all that stuff. And, and I think it is because that, 
that lack of trust that you talk about, that that connection that you need, that when you've got that it's, and it's going really well and it's because you feel heard and seen and all that stuff. And if someone is kind of going, oh, but you're wrong about that repeatedly or, or ignoring you when you're saying, I, I feel anxious about this, I'm worried about this or you hurt me because of this. Yeah, it, that's lonely. It's really lonely. And I think women now, it's like 70% of divorces started by women, right? I mean, that's the number I understand at yeah. least here in the states. I, yeah, I can't speak to. Global no, I think it's I think it's similar, and I wonder yeah. if it's in part that it's that as time goes on, they get to a point and go, oh, well, this isn't worth it. Whereas I don't know, are men happier? Are they are they okay? To change, I suppose, it's almost requ- you're requiring to reading your book and the things that you suggest. It requires more change from men. This is the part where the men get angry with me. Mm. Um, I believe in the idea that comfortable people aren't inclined to change. When we're comfortable, we want to maintain the status quo because of how comfortable it is. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to discuss comfort globally, I think in an intellectually fair way, we have to talk about the idea of how straight white men are pretty comfortable. <laughs> yeah. People get so, I mean, his, particularly this side of, of the Atlantic, people are oh, really? particularly offended by if they grew up impoverished with parents that didn't you know, support them getting an education and there wasn't a lot of money and they worked hard to get where they were. Yeah, they're really offended by it. And they mm-hmm. fail to understand that th- this idea of, of white privilege or male privilege, it's not suggesting your life was easy. It's not an insult. It's saying your life isn't harder because of your gender. Your life isn't harder because of your skin color. Mm-hmm. And other people don't have that luxury. And mm-hmm. I just think there's value in being aware of it and preferably caring about it. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't care about it, not because I was like, oh, I don't care if people suffer. I, I, of course I care. But it was so outside of my like worldview, my field of vision. And I've decided through this work it didn't take me long to realize what I want to extend to a relationship partner and what I want to extend to children that I love if I want to have the healthiest relationship possible with them. Mm-hmm. I realized, where, am I just going to arbitrarily like shut off the like trying to be the best person I can be to other people simply because they don't share an address with me? And I decided no, <laughs> somewhere along the way here. So this goes well beyond romantic relationships to me and affects how we treat one another societally. I think you do explain it in a way where you you talk about masculinity and the impact it has. And rather than it being that it's caused by men, it's like men are a victim of that. Sure. And I think yeah. that's the bit that helps explain it. So it's not saying like you're all, perpet- I mean, you are, we are all perpetuating it, but they're not responsible for starting it, if that makes sense. Not. Yeah. The premise is not that men are bad because they're men. The premise is not even that men are bad. The premise is that I believe in a math way, statistically speaking, if you lined up all the guys, Mm -hmm. a a large percentage of them would have these so-called blind spot habits, would Mm -hmm. be invalidating in the way we talked about through that sort of like invalidation triple threat like situation. Mm -hmm. I think men in heterosexual relationships are particularly comfortable because they're comfortable until they're not. They're comfortable until, you know, it's two kids and 10 years later. And, mm-hmm. you know, his partner's like, hey, this isn't okay. And, you know, I mean, and a lot of people get really offended by having their romantic partner suggest that she or he might not want to be with you anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I mean, that's what I did. I, I, I don't know if you planned to t- discuss that. And so apologies for interjecting it if I'm getting ahead of ourselves. But I was offended <laughs> by the idea of my wife being hurt for year, years and then saying, you know, I'm honestly not sure if, if this is something that I want to stay well, So you moved into in. the spare, spare room for 18 That's months, when I moved right? into the guest room yeah. because I made it entirely about me. There was, there was no part of that conversation where I thought to myself, geez, like this person that I promised to love always is so hurt right now that she's thinking about not being here. I better like get to the bottom of this and try mm-hmm. to like help in an adult, meaningful way. It's not what I did. I just moved into the guest room and thought, man, I can't believe she roped me into marriage only to complain about me, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years later and, and sort of threaten my livelihood and mm. suggest that, you know, suddenly I'm not good. And I was like offended mm. because I feel bad. I've never said this to anybody. She wanted to get married so much more than I did. Like that was she was one of the people like that I envisioned just she really wanted marriage. Mm-hmm. It really mattered to her. And I don't pretend to know why. We never mm-hmm. had the conversation because I didn't 
I didn't know how to deep dive on anything that mattered, you know, substantively with humans. Um, <laughs> but she did. And, you know, I was like young guy, felt pressured. And finally, I was like, I, I definitely want to be with her more than I don't. I don't want to yeah. lose this person. So yeah. I choose her. I choose marriage. Mm -hmm. And then, but then I just lacked like every... <laughs> like piece of knowledge and skill set necessary to navigate well, that effectively. It's the work required. So what did you, you talk about connection rituals, yeah. which I thought was a really interesting concept because we have spoken to a lady called Dr. Karen Gurney, who's a sex doctor. She's known as the sex doctor, psychologist. And she talks about that constant need to connect. And you say in the book, you can't, if you're not rowing, that doesn't mean you're connected. Like you have to actively work to stay connected. Otherwise you just drift, you're always drifting yeah. apart. And that is such a major marriage lesson that no one's told anyone about. So you're kind of like, why is this not working? We're not doing anything bad. Yeah, I, I thought the absence of negativity, the absence of conflict meant everything was amazing. Mm -hmm. But I never did anything proactively. I, as you know, I, I try to imagine two dots, just like a simple mathematical line graph, mm -hmm. two dots on a horizontal line. One data point is, is my romantic partner. One data point's me. And I, the distance between these two dots, which you could chart over time if you wanted to, represent like the relative distance, disconnection, lack of trust, however you want to measure it, mm -hmm. between two humans. And it's like, can we leverage this visual aid to always be trying to move those dots closer together. Mm -hmm. You know, every day, can I wake up and make a goal? Maybe my, my primary goal in the context of my relationship to be, before I go to bed, I want to be able to, in my little move the dots closer journal, say that that happened. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's a powerful idea for like governing, <laughs> governing our decision-making process. It, again, some people I think are very naturally gifted at relational skills and empathy and validating and considering and all of this. And I just think a lot of people like me are not. And so a useful thing is like a, a mind tool or a trick, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And if I am every single day in the same way I'm trying to lose weight or increase the amount of weight I can lift at the gym or whatever it might be, whatever I'm measuring over time incrementally, can I measure the distance between my spouse and I, between my relationship partner and I? It's a sort of nebulous idea, but it doesn't, I don't think it matters. I think as long as you and your relationship partner agree that something positive happened, who cares whether the unit of measurement is technically like correct or not. Mm -hmm. It's just, if you're constantly moving toward each other, you're not moving away. And, yeah. and I think that if you're constantly moving toward each other, you have an excellent chance of always having a healthy, content, peaceful relationship that'll go the distance. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Well, it's having to put things in place that will keep connecting you because they won't just happen. And actually the opposite happens because it's the toothpaste with the lid off or the, the, all the things that just keep pulling you apart, right? That are, that are completely pointless. They're tiny little things. I think that's an important idea that you just reminded me of when you talked about the toothpaste, because I should have said this earlier when we were having the conversation about the dish. It's a piece of evidence that I am inclined to choose me over you, right? If I leave the dish there and my wife walks into the kitchen to see it, it's not a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And she didn't act like it was a huge deal, but it was another reminder, which might've happened daily, that I was inclined mm -hmm. to always choose what I wanted, what I was comfortable with, what I thought was the, the right or the best thing to do. Or even if I didn't think it was best, I was going to do it anyway, because that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And it just feeds back into Matt will always choose what Matt wants. Matt mm -hmm. will always choose what Matt thinks and feels over what I think and feel. And again, that's fine-ish in the world. I, I don't think it makes the world a better place, but I don't think it makes you like, you know, like, like Satan, like you're fine. 
it just will harm trust between two people who promised partnership. We like to measure intent when we feel like we're decent people. And I did. I thought it was really decent. Yeah. And yeah. so I thought it was really unfair that that while all of this horrible, indecent stuff's going on in the world, mm -hmm. you're going to pick on me about a dish? Mm -hmm. Like, are you serious? You know, like there's people that are cheating and hitting and, and saying vile things mm -hmm. to their relationship partners. And you're going to get upset with me because <laughs> yeah. I don't like cleaning as much as you because I don't yeah. like this dish by the yeah. thing. I thought it was so ridiculous. Yeah. And I think when you frame it that way, it can sound ridiculous. Yeah. But I think there's this really critical other way to frame it. And that is this, this yeah. evidence idea. I was perpetually, every day, consistently is a magic word in relationships because we must be consistently positive, I think, or at least consistently not negative in mm -hmm. order to maintain trust. I was just constantly reminding her thoughtlessly. Yeah. I think the other thing is about that behavior can be validated by everyone around you when your friends and your family are like, you, yeah, you're a decent guy. And then I guess when men get together, I don't know if there's this idea, the old kind of trope of women is naggy. Oh, she was going on about the toothpaste lid. Oh, she gets <laughs> her stuck on about the glass or, you know, all these oh, things. Yeah. The validation of that, I feel like sometimes Doug could come back from having seen his friends and be like, yeah, yeah, I am I am right. And it just <laughs> makes it even worse. And everyone does it. Like if you look after the kids, he's such a good man because the oh, bar is so low. And so if you're off for a weekend, and you come back and the house is just destroyed. Uh -huh. It's like he's had everyone telling him how brilliant he is because he looked after his children. And you're sitting going, I do that all the fucking time. Matt's got his head in his hands. Just so <laughs> No That's one's funny. at fault as such because this is, we're perpetuating stuff, but it's more of an effort to go, That's not okay. How do we change that? Because it, relationships can't work like that. That's like the best example of this like male <laughs> privilege sexism thing that we talked about. I think a lot of guys are like, I'm not sexist. I know you're not sexist in the way your brain defines sexism, which is this idea of trying to like suggest men are somehow superior to women or things like that. And yeah. that, I was like, I'm not sexist because I would never think something so gross. Mm -hmm. But that's how I was sexist. This like blind, privileged, comfortable. I help with the kids. I help with the house cleaning. Instead of raising my hand and saying, this is my home, I live here, this is our house, our children, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z things too. Or, you know, I still think, I don't think it's great to be like the guy that has to ask your relationship partner for like directions all the time. I think mm -hmm. that's also not useful no. to make someone else responsible and the manager of all the things. But perhaps at the beginning of the conversation, if you could inject my 43-year-old brain into my 25-year-old self... I would have sat down and I would say, okay, what would it look like on a Saturday morning to feel considered in the context of shared domestic responsibility? The difference that would make, right? I mean, it would have been unbelievable. We would be married and it would be great and everything would be <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. There'd been so much shitty stuff that happened that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, that's such like a powerful conversation. And I, I wish people would, would have it, but frankly, we don't, we don't think of it. Again, average young person, I don't think. Perhaps any gender doesn't think about something like no. that. But consideration to mm -hmm. me is the most critical mental habit you can have in a relationship. And, and I'd already talked about it. It is with great intentionality, I calculate for what my wife will experience when she walks in this room to find that toothpaste, like on the sink with like no tube. If that's something you've talked about before, that's a, you know, a pet peeve. Can I read a line out of your book that I yeah. just, it, it, it covers this. Really nicely. Okay. Casey okay, so say, yeah. if you're a man in a marriage or romantic relationship and your wife or girlfriend is performing functions for you that are identical or similar to things your mother did for you or their mother did for them in childhood, she will eventually start to feel like your mom and stop wanting to touch your penis. That sounds about right. <laughs> it's so true. It destroys trust and intimacy. And um, I am fully aware today in a way I was not and would have resented the implications of during my marriage that I presented childlike. In fact, I, I know that I do. And I, and I, I sort of liked it. I like being like a big kid, but not at the expense of someone else, right? I like being a big kid in the context of fun and a decent at that part of it. But sometimes 
being a big kid and having fun means you're not accepting responsibility that ultimate then it then it defaults it defaults to the other parent and it just kills relationships when i said to doug what are the bits when i'm talking to matt that you've taken most and it was the validation invalidation bit but the consideration bit was his biggest thing because he said again we had an incident with school holidays and if someone were to say to me and i run a business i'm got 20 odd employees like it's, it's busy and we've got three kids we both work full time if I someone said to me oh, can we have a meeting or or I've got a lunch or anything and they give me the date and it's in the school holidays I would immediately go to are the kids going to be around can I book them into something can a friend have like I've, there's a million things that will rush through my head before I can say yes and then I'll probably check with Doug that he's going to be around if I, if it requires him or I'll try and fix it so it doesn't require him yeah. he doesn't have the same and that's consideration, right? And you you, yeah, you explain that really well, no, I think. it's so perfect. Well, you just explained it really well. That was so perfect. Exactly. It's your default setting is to calculate for all of the people you care about mm-hmm. but constantly over, over something that seems relatively minor. Mm-hmm. Again, imagine somebody out on the golf course complaining to his friends about his wife being mad at him because he took a meeting. I see how that can sound like mm-hmm. a naggy overreacting sort of wife or partner. I Mm -hmm. I, I really can. And the way that I talk to clients about it is this, you are with somebody who calculates and they think about like an algebraic equation, Mm -hmm. somebody, they're a variable that each of their children and their spouse are variables that they calculate for all of the time in the math equations of their daily decision-making just Mm -hmm. always as a default, They, they couldn't not remember the people they love. But they're frequently married to somebody. And again, this is such a often observed in male behavior thing. Mm-hmm. This is, goes back to that privilege and that sort of what I might call accidental sexism, which is yeah. intended to be gross, but it sort of ends up being gross. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I just calculate for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, man, I did that so much. That you, you explain that as well, of how it felt like a real disconnect for you when you were married, where she was picking all these things that you weren't doing and you're going, yeah, but look at all this other stuff that I am doing. And I feel like I get that is a, a big conversation for lots of couples, especially because they are probably doing a lot more than their dads did. Yeah. So again, it's like, but I am a really good guy. I'm doing all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, but I'm still doing so much more. And that's that disparity is really difficult. It really is. And then again, I, I think so much of it falls into this sort of shared domestic responsibility. We were just talk, talking about like invisible labor mm-hmm. and the second shift and the mental load. And those are ideas I love to share with guys mm-hmm. that have never heard of them or thought about them before, because th- there are ways to bring those ideas home. Steph, I'd love to get your take on this because you may disagree. I'm like the painful parts often not, if you imagine all of the energy you must exert to physically do stuff, to take care of your home and your family, mm-hmm. there's a pie chart. And you do some percentage of it and your wife does some percentage of it. I'm like, it's often not the thing that hurts is not I'm doing more than this other person. Literally, it's more the abandonment to have to be responsible for it. This I am abandoned to be the default manager Mm -hmm. because he or she will not participate in this. Mm -hmm. If I don't do it, it doesn't get done. Because a lot of these guys are like, if she just asks me, I'll gladly (laughs) (laughs) When I was trying to understand, when I, I don't think I really understood the mental load until a few years ago. I just, and it was like, oh my God, this is it. But um, there was a podcast that Eve Rodsky was on and she, but it was a podcast with a man and they were talking about it. And I got Doug to listen to that and it, it and he understood, you know, it helped. Because just me saying it, I think this is what's really difficult. It goes back to that nagging thing. If you're female partner is just going when you do I have to do all this stuff and I have to do the I don't know the kids birthday gifts and the and it's they're all little things right so you're kind of like oh big deal it's not like a massive deal that makes us millions of pounds like there's all these small things but the the volume of it is the overwhelming bit and the and the brain power involved and everything else but it really helped and again I think that's why you being a man writing about this and talking about this and I appreciate you might have some people like how could you as a man betray us but it I think it does mean that it hits home better for men because otherwise they can almost dismiss you and it shouldn't happen but they could dismiss you as being a woman who's banging on about something but there's also the percentage of people that just need to hear it from a third party Mm-hmm. I remember my last job, like one of my coworkers presented it as expert off the plane. 
the idea that a bunch of um, employees can tell a boss that something needs to happen and then she or he won't listen to their team of employees. So you hire the expensive consultant to fly (laughs) in. They come in and say the thing that needs to happen. And then like the boss is super excited. Yeah. That that is such a sort of corporate culture thing that occurs. And, And it occurred to me that I'm that. I'm the expensive moron that, and I'm really not that expensive, but like metaphorically that you bring in to say what like, like exhausted wives and mothers have been saying for decades. Yeah. And I understand how offensive that is. Hey, no, do you know what? If it works, I'm, I'm fine with it. What do you do? Okay. So say, say someone's listening to this and a woman and they're like, oh my God, I need my partner to understand this. But they're having the conversation with their partner and he's like, he won't listen. He won't engage. He's dismissing it. He won't do counseling. I mean, I think I see that with quite a lot of people I know where they know there's issue and he's like, I don't do counseling. Going back to the masculinity thing. Why would I do that? I couldn't, I wouldn't do that. What do they do? Cause I feel like, and, and that, I think that's where you've got that 70% number who just go, well, fuck it. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. The, the thing that I encourage people to do is to disassociate character from the behavior, disassociate. Meaning if you're with somebody who's genuinely awful, they have a character problem. Yeah. Please consider whether you should be with them or not. And that mm-hmm. is an honest, I don't mean that in a sarcastic, dismissive way. Mm-hmm. If you're with somebody you calculate to be a bad person, please consider leaving. Yeah, that's different. If you don't believe they're intending to harm, okay, that, that means they're accidentally doing it. It means yeah. they're negligently, so to speak, doing it. But trust in the absence of evilness that they're missing a piece of information. Mm-hmm. And it's like, can we provide that for them? And you know, the way that I think about it is, hey, I know that you love me. I know that when I tell you about all these things that upset me, it feels like you're being nagged, attacked, as if I'm criticizing your character, mm-hmm. as if I'm suggesting you're not good enough. And I am not doing that. I beg you to believe me. I'm saying I hurt because this thing's happening in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, I don't think you're trying to hurt me. In fact, I don't think you would ever want me to hurt. I believe you when you say that. So mm-hmm. I am begging you to believe me when I say this really hurts me, even though it doesn't hurt you, even though it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And can you just, in the same way you've learned everything you've ever learned in your life, memorize this notion that this thing hurts me when it happens. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to recruit you to help me not hurt anymore about this thing. That's to me the most useful way to think about it and talk about it. But I think there's a lot of women that might listen to that and say, listen, Matt, I've tried the like sweet approach before and and it falls on deaf ears. And then I would just go back to something I said very early in the conversation. And the truth is that I don't think comfortable people are very motivated to make changes. The imbalance, if one of you is really comfortable, but the other one is really uncomfortable, it's not marriage. That's not fair, is it? No. And I just believe, again, in a, like an observably statistical way, mm-hmm. it's frequently the man in a male-female relationship that's comfortable mm-hmm. in, in the context of these things that we're talking about, yeah. these things yeah. that present small in our shared domestic lives, unfairly, in my estimation, impact women more than mm-hmm. men. Not always. I have had plenty of male clients where it's like, I cannot keep the damn house clean. You know, all she does is leave shit laying around and play on her phone. I I swear I've had those conversations. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so interesting. (laughs) Like, because I go into those conversations assuming, you know, he's doing a bunch of shit that's driving her crazy. And then I discover it's actually quite the opposite. The other way around. But but again, it's it's the minority, right? It's probably the 20 to 30% of relationships uh, when it's the male-female model. There's a line in your book that says, um, so about about this idea of why are women better at relationships? Because I think that's the crux of it. Like if they are better with the different skills of empathy and communication and all the things you're talking about. So that's why there are these generalizations. And you say the social skills acceptable for women to showcase are the life skills required to avoid shitty relationships. And I think that's a massive key part. And it feels, I don't, do you know the writer Catelyn Moran? British writer. I don't. Should I? She's great. Yeah, brilliant. She talks about how women have evolved. So we can work, we can vote, we can wear trousers. Okay. Like we can do all those things that that were male things. Yeah. And so we've kind of balanced out so that we are maybe more two-sided or however you want to look at it, less one-dimensional. 
But men haven't done the same thing with those traits that are more feminine, perhaps traditionally, whether that's that that emotional intelligence and empathy and all of that, that caring and those different things. So then that again, going back to that 70%. So women are becoming these more fully formed humans and men are lagging behind. And where the two perhaps used to work together because they balanced each other out, or I don't know, but women actually massively lost out. But that idea seems to fit really well with exactly what you say there about those social skills. It's like, well, men now need to gain those to make relationships feel more equal. Socialization skills are, I think, frequently developed in almost like a survival way because we want to coexist peacefully with other people. The average person wants to be liked, wants to be accepted, wants to go do fun things and be included in groups and all of the stuff. And so like we learn from day one that we just learn along the way, watching people interact and all the millions of things that we pick up probably without thinking about it between TV and our parents and our extended families and neighbors mm-hmm. and school and all of it. And I just believe exactly what the sentence that you read from the book, that the socialization skills that that young, that young girls, that young women learned and developed just accidentally, if you will, serve romantic relationships. They, they're useful. They, they make it better. They're healthy. And boys, young men, grow up and they don't need any of those skills to have successful relationships with like their guy friends, with their male coaches and their male teachers and their male role models. And so like we just get this perpetuated like behavior model that isn't inherently evil. It's not. It's not inherently bad. But the accidental repercussions of it in my estimation, particularly in like your classic male female relationship, is this absence of skills necessary to nurture Mm-hmm. maintain trust, for lack of a better term, in the relationship. And again, I don't mean trust in the lying, betraying way. I mean, trust in the more nuanced way. Like, can I count on this person yeah, tomorrow, safety. next week, next month to act in my best interest in good times and bad and all the small and large ways life, you know, throws things at us. Mm-hmm. And, and right, often the math is that that you can't trust us to do that without some significant work and self-awareness on our part. And that's, I know that's really inconvenient for like all the men who want to have successful marriages. And, but it's, I just believe so strongly in in the validity of it. I I think that's so true. My final question, a lot of the women that I talk to talk about this overwhelm, this phase that we're in this rush hour where they're, you know, with children and work and juggling and all this stuff. And I was just interested to know if you feel that overwhelm and, and if you do, how do you deal with it? I mean, I didn't used to. Right. When I was married, I didn't. It was every, my life was rosy. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's no. so interesting. No, I got, I got, I got a, a really harsh taste of it while I was simultaneously trying to not die after mm. she moved. Mm. You know, I went from shared domestic lives where she did the vast majority of all the things, right? All the stuff I didn't even think about ever. Mm-hmm. And I had this really harsh taste of it when, I became virtually overnight the sole occupant of a home. I was still like a guy who worked a couple jobs. I had like my full-time corporate job and I I would often like side hustle trying to do, you know, like side projects and stuff. I was in marketing, so I had like this little like part-time marketing agency with a couple friends. And and so we like a lot of working hours, but then also I'm a single dad now. And I have to calculate for like what clean clothes he needs in the morning, whether it's a gym day at school, and or or what lunch he you know to, to make sure I'm I'm adequately planning like to have food in the fridge to mm-hmm. pack his lunches for the week are not things I'd ever encountered before. Right. And so I'm trying to compete with like all these priorities at work and making sure I'm not dropping the ball in all of these other areas. And I learned very quickly that the math of trying to keep up with everything, these so-called little domestic things presented so much more difficult for me personally than like going to work for 40 or 50 hours. It was like a breeze. It's so easy to do that. (laughs) And it was so hard to keep my life afloat logistically, keeping my bills paid on time and making sure the laundry was done on time for my son again to get to school. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't even want to think about that all the times I just like threw some shirt he'd already worn in the dryer to like de-wrinkle it. 
yeah. With yeah. like a fabric softener, it's so pathetic. Right? It's like single Breeze. dad hacks. Well, it's a harsh, I would have been a harsh reality or harsh lesson of what it feels like, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it helped, right? It helped mm-hmm. get a, a taste of empathy. Like me, I, I think I told a lot of people this. I don't know if it was in the book, but she left and I hurt like mm-hmm. bad, bad. And then I also hurt in like my life was uncomfortable way, which I don't expect any sympathy for from anyone. But the combination of those two things really gave me this healthy dose of like, this is what it was like for her. Mm-hmm. And that was such an important realization. I need to feel pain on a level commiserate with her pain. I think in order to truly appreciate the things she was thinking and feeling and saying to me, mm-hmm. back when she was saying it, I had no frame of reference for the degree of hurt, for the degree of fear, anxiety, stress, whatever insert negative emotion here, whatever it might be. I I didn't have a frame of reference for it. And then I got like, I got it in spades. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really proud of it. We share a child and we have for nine years. And that requires me to do ironically, logistically, a lot of the work she needed from me in our marriage. I have to be considerate of her calendar. I have to be an effective communicator. Yeah. If I have a meeting that pops up, I have to make sure I'm not going to like mess with her plans. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be 90 minutes late to pick up our son on a night where I'm supposed to do that. And I'm really proud of it because I've really, even though I'm not in a marriage anymore, I have absolutely turned these behaviors around. Honestly, amazing book. And also just amazing that you've taken all those lessons and that you're continuing to try and share them and learn from them. And it's massive, man. It's really, really Thank impressive. You. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you to Matt. Um, I've had a few conversations since recording the interview um, about this with people and have found that women completely get it and some men are a bit defensive, as in, that's not relevant to me, when I know from their partner that it really is. So it is fascinating. Um, And also as Doug been reading the book, it's really helping us to communicate. So I'm I'm glad that he's an open mind to it. I just think it's interesting to see how different people are going to interpret it but i'm i'm interested to hear from anyone who's found this helpful any views you have um just send me a message we have a few episodes of men coming up to time with father's day which is on the 19th of june um, and we've got some ace gifts for men at don'tbuyherflowers.com so um, yeah go and have a look at that and also just thank you so much for listening and i hope you have a really good week <laughs>